This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education, host of the podcast Transformative Principal, and author of the book School X. Excited to be with you today. (laughs) Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and education consultant based as of this week in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. All right, I got a little lost. Welcome. Happy we're here. As soon as, as soon as we started talking, I got logged out of workflow. So we're just gonna we're just gonna go we, with it. We can totally wing this. So let me just give a shout out to our mission partner, Buoyancy Digital. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series. 
a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who's been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training, reach out to Scott Rabinowitz at buoyancydigital.com or at Scott R Media on LinkedIn. Hey there, Jethro. <laughs> hey, Fred. Thanks for <laughs> crikey. What a what a day. Oh, tell me about it. So <laughs> it is good to be back live with you. I'm sorry we had to take a break last week, but as you know, I was in the process of moving. So that is largely done. Yeah, excellent. And it feels good to be moved. And I think that's been occupying all of your time this last week. So you could say that. that. <laughs> <laughs> glad that we are here. Um, so today we have some listener questions, which I'm pretty excited about because I love it when people write in and have questions. Um, if you want to uh, submit something, Fred's going to tell you the link for that at cybertraps.com. Absolutely. What you want want to do is go to cybertraps.com and you can click on the questions and feedback page which is pinned to the top of the website or you can go to link.cybertraps.com backslash questions and feedback and that will take you directly to the page please write in let us know what you're thinking if you have any questions any issues you'd like us to cover we're happy to hear from you and I don't know if anybody just heard that, but I heard a distinct siren in the background. So we know Fred is officially in New York City. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I will tell you that the uh, that the oral activity on this podcast is going to change dramatically yeah. <laughs> over the weeks to come. But yes, we will hear sirens. We will hear the occasional argument, pigeons bouncing off the glass. It's going to be an entertaining yeah. process. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, let's get into our questions. Our first question comes from a parent who says, I need to teach my child about cyber safety, appropriate online behavior, etc. What do you think is a good way to do it in the circumstance I'm in where he won't listen to me? Um, one of the things that she also mentioned was that he is very much afraid that I'll take away his phone if I find out about anything he is doing that is not appropriate. So as soon as a topic comes up about the phone it's explosion city right away because he's so afraid of getting his phone taken away uh what advice do you have for this dear mother fred oh boy um yeah. for starters the these kinds of emotional um interactions are very common obviously in terms of kids uh, going through adolescence and trying to create their own identity and figure out who they are. So none of this is abnormal or, or out of the ordinary, but it is important to persist and help your child understand that you still have a role as their parent in terms of educating them and keeping them safe, even though they take a very proprietary attitude towards technology. And, uh, you know, again, we've all had to cope with a very quickly changing technological scene. I, I do want to give a shout out to anybody who listens to this who has younger children, 
um, to underscore the importance of, of slowing down access to technology as much as possible when kids are younger. Obviously, for those of us who have or have had older children, that's not really an option. So then the question becomes, how do you open up those channels of communication, right? Because what's happening now is that when the subject comes up, your child just wants to leave, doesn't want to engage in any way. So one of the things that we talk about, Jethro, I think, is finding common technological discussion points for kids and for parents. And one of the ways to approach this is not so much, I need to look at your phone, but I want you to teach me about my phone and get the kid engaged in that sense. Is there, a, is there an app you're curious about? And coincidentally, you think your kid might be using, but you know, are there aspects of your phone that, that you would like the kid to help you understand? And that can be a non-confrontational way to step into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are really good ideas. And that um, that is a good way to soften the conversation so that it's not always about them doing something wrong, but it's about learning together, which is which is helpful also. Uh, the other thing that that I've had a lot of success with in schools specifically is when kids escalate really quickly after a, a confrontation or something like that is I find easier paths to get into that. So one of the ways to do that is to one, have a four to one positive to negative ratio. And, and this is something where you say something good about what they're doing with their phone or how they're using it. And trust me, this can be really hard to find something good that they're doing, but it's important <laughs> to try to find it so that you're not just harping on all the negative things that they're doing. I really um, like the way you're holding that phone. That's very, <laughs> yeah, I, I really like how you're holding it like a slice of pizza. That's really nice. And you know, that, that kind of stuff is, uh, is, you know, whatever you can do to like bring some positivity to it so that every conversation about it is not just a negative conversation. Um, and that can be, that can be really challenging. I'm not going to lie about that. And, you know, sometimes the other thing that you need to do. So Fred suggested having them teach you something using a four to one uh, positive to negative ratio. And another thing is to just reset things and to really frankly say, uh, and this is what uh, Tessa Stuckey talked about in episode one, say, I made a mistake in giving you this phone and not talking to you about it. So we're going to have a reset and I want to do this better. And here's what I need to tell you as you have this phone and we just need to talk about it. And approaching it like that can put them um, not on the defensive because it's not their fault that they're doing something wrong. You're admitting to it being your fault that you didn't set them up for success. And again, like all these conversations can go nicely or they can go really poorly. <laughs> and that's just, that's just what happens sometimes and you got to be prepared for it. I, I think that's a really good point, Jethro. And the other thing that I would add into that is that parents don't necessarily always want to confront the curiosity that their children have as they're getting older. And, you know, the reality is that even before technology popped up, 
you know, kids were interested in things that made parents squirmy or uncomfortable. And of course, technology and mobile devices and the internet have put that on steroids. So maybe one of the things to think about is how do we de-escalate the child's concern that simply looking at his or her phone is going to cause the parent to freak out and try to take the device away? And in general, over the years, I think my position on this has evolved to recognizing that it's probably only in the most serious circumstances that that would be a necessary outcome. And I think that, you know, you can figure out for yourself what your standard is, but in broad terms, as long as they're not doing something criminal, there are penalties that are less severe than removing the device. And I think if you talk to your child about that and say, look, we need to have a a conversation about how you're using the device because I am your parent and I do have a role to help you use it safely. There are very few circumstances in which I will insist on taking the device away from you. And I, you know, we'll talk about what those are, but there are some things that you need to know that are relevant to how you grow up that I have input on. And it doesn't mean you're going to lose your device, but it may mean that we need to discuss some behavioral changes or um, you know, some lesser consequences that can help you understand what the risks are of what you're doing. Well, and here's the thing that that is troubling to me is that because the phone is involved then it it becomes a parents are are freaking out about parenting their kids and and that's a problem because if your kid is running into the middle of the street and you see a car coming you're going to do everything you can to save your kid and if your kid starts driving the car without your permission you're going to of course put a stop to that however you can. But when it comes to phones, we take this different approach for some reason. I think that we just have an unhealthy relationship with it and need to do a better job of, of recognizing that it's just another parenting opportunity. And, and we need to see it as such and act accordingly. You know, any of the problems that we have had, we, we talk to our kids and try to make it better and try to fix it. And we need to continue doing that with devices as well. I I completely agree with that, Jethro, and and, and we can close out this particular topic, I think, with with one other observation, which is that when when these kinds of situations arise, one of the things that parents honestly need to do is to look at their own use of devices. Are they setting a bad example for the kids? Um, Are they caught up in things? Do the kids blow up because there is an engagement because the parents are caught in their own devices. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying that's the case for the listener who wrote in, but but these are things we should always be conscious of. Yeah, very good. I think those are, those are great suggestions. Uh, so question number two, this one is a little more technical and a little more complex. So this may be a, a first answer to it. So we're going to set the stage by talking about Pokemon Go, when it was released in like 2016, um, everybody was going to all these different places, businesses, churches, schools, 
you know, er libraries everywhere, any public place, they had these little Pokemon areas where people would just congregate and play the game and then they would move on. And this caused some, some uh, discouragement, I guess is the best word for people coming into the places thinking that they were full or busy or whatever. And so uh, companies certainly could have lost some revenue from that. And so then the question came, should we, um, should we set up signal jammers so that there's not a good internet signal here? Um, and by extension, should we use boosters to ensure that people within the building can have access to the internet on their devices? This is something that schools have been debating for years about, um, about blocking cellular signals in buildings and lots of schools are built like bunkers and so they already don't have good service <laughs> so you pretty much have to be on the wi-fi to get to the internet um, but then uh, especially in utah there are a lot of um, cell companies that put uh, cell towers on top of schools so they conceivably have really good uh, cell service there because they've got the tower right there with them so the question for this from this listener is um, should we uh, jam signals or should we use boosters to make it so that people have better cell phone reception in buildings? Um, so that's that's a basis there. Um, uh, let me read the exact question. So my question for both you and Frederick Lane is, should places where children with mobile devices are present and be the primary user type be obligated to offer signal boosting technology, thus permitting them to use their mobile devices in these settings or should the use of signal jammers be permitted or considered such as in teaching or classroom settings? So uh, first thought, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> first thought right off is that this is something that the Federal Communications Commission will need to weigh in on at some point because the potentially um, mischievous or even malicious use of signal jamming, I think mm -hmm. presents a lot of serious questions. And um, in the school environment, you know, I can imagine a lot of parents being hostile to that because mm -hmm. one of the specific reasons that so many kids carry cell phones and smartphones is that parents want to be able to get in touch with them. And so if now the school is, um, installing the capability of blocking those transmissions, I think that's gonna be at, at the very least a political issue, if not a legal issue. Um, so that's sort of the first take on that. Um, with respect to signal boosters, and that's a trade-off obviously between safety and um, distraction, right? I mean, one of the first questions you would ask yourself is, do we want to give kids more access to the internet that's not supervised or um, filtered by the school, right? And, and my immediate thought is that you're going to have more content coming into the school that is inappropriate than you might want. Again, though, we often um, talk with folks who work in rural areas, right? And if the school um, is having, or if parents are having trouble communicating with their kids in school, there might be a legitimate safety reason for considering that. Um, I, I guess overall, anytime you're starting to play around with 
access to the cellular networks, you're stepping into some pretty tricky legal waters. Yeah, and that to me is the key here is that if you are if you are blocking people from accessing the the cellular device, then you are essentially saying, uh, I'm in control and I don't care whether or not you can access emergency services, talking to your mom and dad and everything else. And that definitely puts you in some, some murky water to be sure. But then the idea of boosting signals specifically in schools, which is part of the question that, that he asked was, um, if we are boosting those signals into schools, then we are giving kids the opportunity to have unfiltered access to the internet on school grounds, which is another issue as well, that we, we have a responsibility in schools to ensure that the access they have is filtered and is, um, and is controlled so that they aren't accessing things that are inappropriate. So I have a really hard time seeing any school district saying, let's boost the uh, internet from cell providers in our buildings. Um, however, uh, putting in a lot of Wi-Fi hotspots and making sure they have the capacity to meet everybody's mobile devices so that they can still filter it, I think is definitely something that schools all over the world are, are doing, um, especially now that we've given all these kids devices and we're going to welcome them back <laughs> with devices also. Um, so that, 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 clock's not rolling back any at all. Um, I think, I think jamming is a, is a tough one. And I think most schools would just say, we're just going to leave it and not try to prevent it. Um, but, you know, so if we have bad signal in the school, that's just part of, you know, going to school in a bunker and but <laughs> right. we have Wi-Fi hotspots. So you can still contact your parents if you need to through messages, messaging apps that don't require a cellular signal. I think the Wi-Fi point is really well taken. If, if cellular were the only mechanism for getting on the internet, then there'd be a very different discussion, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's so central to how people communicate and the learning that they're doing. The other thing that occurs to me, of course, is that you're not just dealing with children on a school campus. You've got a lot of adults who, you know, really use the internet for a variety of different purposes during the day. And while some of their activities... Mm -hmm should go through the school filter, as you well know. Um, in our modern age, it's unrealistic to say to a bunch of adult teachers that you can't call your spouse or you can't you know, update your kids on your schedule and things like that using their cellular service, which by the way, they're paying for. So if they're at work and the school is basically turning off their access to cellular data, you're wiping out a significant portion of the value of what they're paying for mm -hmm. as consumers, you know? So I, I, boy, I think there'd be some interesting legal challenges to a, um, you know, broadly implemented jamming policy. Yeah. Well, you know, if we take it out of a school system and put it in a business setting, like a movie theater, for example, nobody sure. likes going to a movie and having somebody like talk on the phone. Um, and so those buildings also, you know, have a lot of cement and, um, and often don't have great signals inside. Uh, and so you, you could potentially do that. I've heard rumors, nothing verifiable that some, um, some movie theaters install a lot of rebar in the concrete in the walls so that they essentially are creating a Faraday cage so that signals have a hard time getting in and out. Um, and so that 
you know, you could say is uh, the excuse is building uh, soundness and earthquake prevention and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> and you could probably get away with that. But I think the same concerns we mentioned um, apply in that type type of a situation and the same thing for most businesses that if you're preventing people from accessing um the internet while they're there um you're taking away something that they want to have access to and i think that you'd be it would be less of a legal issue in my mind for an individual business to do it um and more of an issue for a for a school to do it for example well right and and i think the legal distinction that would pop out fairly quickly is that students have to go to school, right? And so they don't have a lot of choice about that. Whereas if you and I go into a movie theater, it's kind of hard to imagine right now, but eventually when we go into a movie theater, um, we're making a choice to go to that business, right? And, and in a sense, there's, you know, terms and conditions of using that business. And the other thing too, is that some businesses like a movie theater, for instance, or some of these poor Pokemon victims. I mean, the stories are crazy. They've got their own economic interest to protect. And if you're a movie theater and you want to cut down, for instance, on copyright infringement, so people trying to stream the movie, you know, as they're sitting there or something like that. I mean, obviously you could record and take it away. But the point is that they're trying to protect their property interests as well. So I have much less of an issue with a private business saying, you know, within this area, you know, we're going to basically not have cell phone service. They just need to let people know ahead of time so that they can choose whether or not to go in there. It would be a real bummer if they didn't say anything and you go in and something arises and you really need your phone and can't use it. You know, so I think there's that basic decency point. Another piece of this that's related a little bit tangentially is the concept of geofencing, which we're all going to become familiar with in terms of mobile ads. Yeah, you know, that's something else that uh, we've talked before about Google changing how they're doing things. And um, Apple just released an update to their iOS 14.5, which makes it so that you have to opt into tracking. And it looks like less than 5% based on the latest article I saw, um, <laughs> have opted into tracking. You're one of the 5% who opted no. in. Okay. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Oh, it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. So the other thing about that is that there are, um, there are advertising companies out there that I think we've talked a little bit about before that take your geolocation from apps installed on your phone. They tie it to your identifier on your phone and tie it to your IP address. And so the, they, they don't need cookies to do all of that because they can pull it off when you access the internet on your phone. And, and those, those issues, you know, become very real for, whether or not they should be tracking you, which I personally believe they shouldn't be. And you, you shouldn't have to worry about somebody knowing your home location and the places that you frequent um, so that they can send you advertising that is appropriate to them. Um, I think that that is, uh, personally think that's, that's not right. So yeah, I think that that raises another issue that if you can, you know, create a, a dead spot or a uh, a knowable spot that that certainly raises some other interesting issues as well. Well, you may have seen Jethro because um, you're 
you're tuned into this kind of thing that I don't know if it's still true, but at least for a period of time, when you looked on Google Maps, you could not see the vice president's house in their satellite scans. It was actually blurred out. Uh, mm. You know, the old Naval Observatory down in Washington, D.C. And I haven't checked recently. I, I can't imagine that's still true. But, um, you know, <laughs> these are the questions that arise, right? Are there legitimate reasons for privacy or put another way for non-functioning technology in certain circumstances. Yeah, and I certainly think if you are doing, you know, uh, top secret stuff or things that are are private, you know, especially in a company as you're doing things, being able to turn off um, access in specific areas so that um, trade secrets don't get out. I think all those things, I mean, those are, those are other concerns that come up with this as well. And you know, a lot of those things, as you mentioned at the beginning of this question, that um, the FCC needs to step in at some point and make a, a decision on what is and is not allowed and when it's appropriate and when it's not. And as far as I know, they have not yet made any decisions on that, unless you know something else. No, I don't. And, and certainly not in terms of broad policy considerations as to when private individuals or organizations can impose this. I mean, Obviously, there's fairly clear law and regulation with respect to the use of jammers uh, anywhere near airports, for instance, or anything like that. I mean, parallel to that is you're not allowed to use the little um, consumer lasers anywhere near an airport because they can distract pilots and so on and so forth. But in terms of the the, the application we're discussing, I actually don't think the FCC has really dealt with it, largely because the technology wasn't that good. And as we've talked about endlessly, technology marches on with incredible rapidity. And now we are starting to see the ability to do this kind of micro jamming within a a specific area. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that as good as it's getting, given the very nature of cellular transmission and radio waves and all the rest of it, it's really, really difficult to limit the application of a jammer to the confines that you may have in mind. So if you put it up in a school environment, for instance, you are almost inevitably going to have leakage across the boundaries. Or imagine a movie theater where, oops, accidentally we're blocking like three businesses from using, you know, from having their consumers use cellular data. So um, as tempting as it may be for the reasons that our, our listener raised, it just seems like a, a really premature step for, for schools in particular to take. Yeah. And, and I would say even for businesses to take as well, that there's, there's too much unknown and too much that you can't control that would make it tough. I mean, if you could say in this box, you know, we, you can't use the internet, then that's one thing. But if you try to like put it out in front of your building or whatever, you're inevitably going to cause problems for other people, which, you know, is, is not good either. So anyway, I, (laughs) well, let me give you a, yeah, please. (laughs) Sorry, sorry to jump in, but, but a scenario pops into my head you know, imagine, right. A business puts one of these jamming devices in their storefront. Because, you know, maybe they don't want people taking pictures of their dresses and copying them or something like that. Um, But 
you know, what if you've got a Tesla driving by and it depends on its internet connection? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It wipes out. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a lot to explore there. Um, I know that we're going to be wrapping up a little bit early, but there's one case that popped up in the last week, Jethro, that I wanted to ask you about as a principal. And I don't know if you saw this, but there was a woman um, down in Florida who um, is in my research files entitled cameras and microphones are everywhere, right? These are instances Mm -hmm. where educators get caught doing things um, because somebody's recording. And in this particular case, it was a principal who was using a relatively large wooden paddle to spank a child. And the mother recorded the incident. And of course it went viral. And a couple of different pieces. I mean, at at one level, of course, you've got the corporal punishment discussion going on, right? And then the other thing is, you know, the uh, ability of parents and students to record activity in the schools and broadcast it. And and obviously, we've talked about that. So I'd love to get your thoughts on on those general topics and and how you know what your experience is. So uh, a couple things. Number one, um, corporal punishment is still allowed in several states uh, in the United States, and it is perfect, including legal. Florida. <laughs> yep, and there is there is a process for doing it, and um, thankfully, I have never done that because I don't think I'd be able to handle that. There's a story for another time about me getting spanked as a child that is just golden. <laughs> and my my well, siblings I'll, will I'll match it. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it uh, that that's one separate thing. It is legal and it is okay, even if some of us don't like it. And so before we see these videos or hear about them, we really need to like recognize is that a culturally acceptable thing? And is it legal for them to do that? And in some cases it is. So the second thing is um I as a school principal, um, I pretty much assumed that whenever I was talking to a parent or a student, I, I could be recorded. And so I made sure that I was, um, so for me, my values are that I treat people with respect from the beginning. And so making sure that, you know, I'm being courteous and conscientious to those that I'm, that I'm working with. And I've had a couple situations where I know the person was recording me. And I said, hey, it looks like you're recording me. I'm just going to make a recording for myself as well so that we both have a copy and you don't have to worry about sending it to me later. And uh, I've done that where they- Nicely phrased. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I've done that when they were clear they were recording and I've done that when they were trying to secretly record me. And and in those situations, I mean, you, you have to recognize being in the public eye with everybody having cell phones- that is an issue and you have to be aware of that. And so, you know, there can be unfortunate situations, but if you, if you are not aware and prepared for people to be recording and you're in a public position of authority, then that's going to be, I think, very detrimental to your, um, to your career. You just got to be aware of it. And, and we're seeing more and more of that coming um, to pass right now, all over, all over the world with people recording things that um, in the past we, we wouldn't have had to think about being recorded. I don't know. Did that answer your question or not? (laughs) It, 
<laughs> it does answer my question. I it, it inspires the following thoughts, which are that, um, you know, the camera, the smartphone cameras, probably had a more pro- profound impact on society than almost any other invention since like the printing press. I mean, mm-hmm. it is amazing what we see now that we would not have seen. Um, a couple of follow-up points with respect to the Florida case. Um, Florida, just kind of glancing over the article that I saved, is one of 19 states in which corporal punishment is permissible. And in this particular case, um, the principal was exonerated of any wrongdoing because the uh, local state's attorney concluded that there was no risk of serious harm from what she was doing. So there's that piece of it, right? That's the legal with respect to the actual punishment. Um, The camera thing is interesting though. And I, I think Jethro, you made a really good point about the rush to judgment that people engage in when they see video, because we forget that video is inherently interpretive, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of what angle is displayed, uh, when the video starts, when the video ends. Um, And we're not even getting into the alteration of video that can occur, but just actual footage is subject to interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so much about, especially these videos posted online that are little snippets of, of things that happen and not, they certainly don't give the whole story. And, you know, sometimes there is something really wrong, but what I think is, is fascinating is that the principal was cleared of wrongdoing. And, um, and I, I didn't watch the video, um, which often happens also. And I just saw the, uh, the screenshot, the still of it, mm-hmm. which showed another person holding the student in a supportive manner that is probably a specific way that they need to hold a student in that situation. And it, um, it can be very frustrating to see those things, but you also have to recognize that, that there, so for example, there are ways that we are trained to restrain kids in a safe and appropriate way to protect themselves or to protect others. And uh, special educators typically and school principals have to go through that kind of training to make sure that if they have the need to restrain a student that they do it safely and appropriately and using as little force as possible but sometimes unfortunately that does happen and it's never a fun situation when that does happen but you know just watching that and seeing it out of context and not knowing what led up led up to it can be very distressing uh for people to see no, of course. And, and needless to say, we're in a period of time where the issue of restraint is yeah. <laughs> really at the forefront of people's minds. So there's, there's an increased sensitivity. And I think that gets us back to a topic that, that we've touched upon a number of times, which is it's not just the context of the actual video, like what state is it in? What are the cultural traditions of that state? But it's also there's a national context right now to all of the things that are happening online. And and one of the fundamental points of the work that you and I are doing here is that so many of these issues are nationalized or globalized Mm -hmm. in ways that they never could be before. And what's really startling to all of us, I think, is that kids are driving so much of that. 
you know, yeah. because they are now global publishers and they couldn't do this before. It's, yes. it's, it's such a profound shift. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we could have a whole nother discussion about that, which we won't do today, but that's, <laughs> that's something. Spoiler where, alert. We will. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We definitely need to, because that is an issue that is very, very real. And if you are an educator and are not aware that your students have global reach, then you, in my opinion, you should not be in education. If you're not paying attention to that, because it, you're going to, you're going to harm your kids and you're going to harm your own career and you're going to harm your kids because you're not recognizing the power that they have and not helping them achieve that power in a healthy way. And you're going to harm your career because at some point they're going to get you and they're going to catch you doing something wrong. And, um, and that's not going to be good. And this just happened in my old district. So (laughs) just saying like it happens and it went international, which is crazy. Oh, I have so many examples, but let's leave this on a positive note, Jethro, because we're going to wrap this up that um, part of the gift of the internet and of these devices is that it gives children such profound potential to do good in the world. And educators and parents should recognize that potential and figure out ways to foster it because it, it's just remarkable what kids can achieve these days. So uh, yep. with that positive note. <laughs> well, let me, let me just add one more positive note. I had students uh, when I was teaching at an inner city school who were, um, who started blogging and these kids were writing poetry on the internet. Uh, what, 15, 16 years ago, something like that. And they were, they were getting comments from people all over the world. And it was inspiring to them to, to add Mm -hmm. something positive to the world. I had zero, zero issues with kids doing inappropriate things online. And I believe it's because I stressed the power that they had to do amazing things online and to, to really leave a positive influence. And they rose to the challenge and really, really strove to, to do that exactly, which is awesome. I will say, though, that the Internet of 2005 is very different from the Internet of 2021. Hey, uh, I thought but... we were leaving on a positive note, Fred. Come on, man. Sorry, Sorry blue me. the landing. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's a brilliant example, Jethro. And I know that people are doing the same thing these days with Snapchat and with TikTok and a bunch of other things. There's lots of good yes. stuff you can do. Yes, absolutely. All right. I'm not saying anything more except <laughs> that this wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cyber security, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. Go to cybertraps.com and click on the questions and feedback. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating and share this episode with your friends. 
We appreciate having you here and look forward to chatting with you on Thursday as well. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.